Now we take our Bibles, please, and um, we'll read firstly in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians and chapter 6. <coughs> and there's just one verse there, <coughs> which will form the basis of what we're looking at this morning, which connects very much with last week as well. It is a little aside, but it's a meaningful one. So 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 17 says, He that is joined to the Lord, all right, he that is joined to the Lord, he that is united to the Lord, is one spirit. Then further across in chapter 12, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether it's Jews or Gentiles, bond or free, we've all been made to drink into one Spirit. There it is again. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Now remember we've been in Revelation 19 last week and we looked at that that beautiful picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. That glorious picture of our final union with Christ. You see the redeemed and the Lord are brought together in a scene, a relationship of joy, a relationship of love and a relationship of glory. Joy, love and glory in our final (coughs) relationship and association with the Lord Jesus Christ. The bridegroom, he is Christ. The bride, it is the church. She is there, we saw her shining in the perfection of her beauty. Absolutely radiant and she made herself ready. And he is there to receive her to himself in that final connection and to have her by his side forever. It's the triumph of divine love. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him. That's what it says. Because it's a scene of joy, a scene of gladness, and the honour went to him at that marriage supper. Why? Because she is where she is. She is what she is because of him. She owes everything to him. And we will in that final day, when redeemed by his sight, we shall stand. We'll have that sense that we are in reality, in fullness, we will realise How much we owe to him, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. And the bride, we the people of God, we are fulfilled. God's plans are all fulfilled. And blessing reigns in that ongoing scene, in that ongoing relationship of Christ and his redeemed, united in glory, in love, Forever. It's eternal love and it's an eternal bond. It's an eternal union. It's an eternal relationship. Now, the point I want to make today and the thing we want to explore is that that union with Christ, that, that relationship we have with him and that we will have in its fullness in that day to come, we already have it now. Right? We may not know it in its fullness and its fullest expression and we may not enjoy it as we should at times, but the truth is, 
We are currently united. We are joined already to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this truth of, the, of our union with Christ, which I want to establish very strongly this morning, because I think it will build our faith up, and I think it will be very enlightening and very encouraging as well for us all. Very practical, very enlightening, very encouraging, very uplifting. Now, this truth of our union with Christ, is think of it really like a flower. You know, you, you have the bud of the flower. Think of it as a rose on just coming there on the bush, and there's the bud, and it's, it's ready. And then slowly it unfolds, and then finally it unfolds completely in all its absolute beauty. Now the point is this. We have the bud. We will in that coming day see the beauty of the radiancy of the fullness of the bloom. And along the way as we learn more and more of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, so how we have been bound to him, how we belong to him, how we have been joined to him, how we have been united to him, as we understand it better, it's like the truth is gradually coming into bloom. At the moment of our salvation, we were united to Christ. It was like the bud. But remember, everything of the flower is in the bud. All right? So I want to get to the point where you understand the fullness of our relationship, that we are currently related to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that occurred at the moment that we were born from above, that we were born again, that we were made one of his own. And we're going to explore the meaning of our union in Christ. Now, you know, theologically, if you wanted to approach it that way, you have all sorts of fixed headings. And you think of it as a, a spiritual union, we think of it as a mystical union, an organic union, a vital union, a personal union, a transforming union, and a reciprocal union. Well, I could go through those things in detail like that, and really, pretty much we will be moving through and exploring our relationship with the Lord Jesus under those kind of headings, but illustrating them and, and applying them. Because it's not just a cold, factual lecture, but the examination and the exposition of a truth which is beautiful in itself. It's uplifting. It's reassuring. It establishes us in our faith. And it encourages us. And it is so practical. So we're going to look at it like the headings will be there, but the application and meaning, I trust with God's help, I can somehow unfold to you that the Holy Spirit would lead us this morning into a deeper understanding of this truth. Putting it in a, a broad picture across the top, right? What we will learn is that we actually belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're his possession. We belong to him. Now, not as a possession which exists on its own. What do I mean by that? Well, you've got lots of things that belong to you, and some of them you keep in the top drawer, don't you? Some of them in the bottom drawer. They come out from time to time. And there's a sort of separation between you and what you possess. Oh, it's yours and you value it. And you, you use it, you visit it from occasion to occasion. Now, it's not quite like that, you see. It's not like that at all. It's a linking together of us as his possession and he as the one who is the possessor. There's never a distance. We are joined to him and we are bound to him. And we are never seen apart from Christ. Never separated from him. 
When God looks at you and God looks at me, he sees me and the Lord together. We are in Christ. You see, that's a sign of a good marriage. And what do we have in Revelation 19? It's a, the, the picture of the relationship between us and the Lord is the picture of a marriage. A good marriage. You see what? Husband and wife, they always somehow or other seem to be together. If you were, well, I know Brother Graham is a marriage celebrant, and for many years I was as well, and the one thing you noticed about when a couple wanted to be married and you talked to them and got to know them, you sort of looked at their togetherness. That's what you looked at. And the thing you dreaded was when you went to the, the wedding breakfast, you know, you saw he was over there chatting to his mates, and she was over there chatting to her mates, and they never seen a meet for the night sort of thing. You know, they got together now and again. You thought, oh, that's a bad beginning. That's a bad beginning. I see Brother Graham nodding down the back there. You just know that, hey, this isn't starting too well. You see, the point is this. From the day we're saved, in the sight of God, we are never seen apart from Christ. We are never off pursuing separate interests. Sort of, he is doing what he does. And when we do what we do, and we come together now and again, that's not our union with Christ. That's not a picture of it. That's a travesty of it. And sometimes we can be like that and we, you sort of break your life up. And people do this. I hear them preach about this. They talk about your secular life. And then they talk about your spiritual life. And so one's over here and one's over there. And the Lord's in the spiritual life, but in the secular life, you know, the family life or the school life or the work life, well, that's, a, that's your life that you get on with. And somehow or other you get together now and again. You know, you have times of prayer, you see. So you get together with the Lord. You have your time of prayer and you have your quiet time. And then, then from there on you go and you do the other thing. And then you come to church and then you have your spiritual life. Now, we're not talking about that. <laughs> we're talking about a relationship from the moment you say between your Lord, your Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ and yourself, in which there is no parting whatsoever. Actually, in this unification, in this union together, he is our very life. Our very life. And marvel of marvels, we, the scripture teachers, are an essential part of his life. Now, I find that amazing. I do. Christ and his own, an essential part of himself and his life, and an essential part of what God plans the world to come to be like when we live in it with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, he is not complete without us being there. That's an astounding statement. The purposes of God are not complete without the children of God, the people of God, the redeemed of the Lord being there. The church, it says, which is his body, the fullness of him who's going to fill all in all. In other words, another translation puts the complement. The idea is the church, which is his body, is his fullness. If you, you took it away, there's something missing. He is not complete in the mind and plans and purposes of God without his bride, without his redeemed. And we are an essential part, the complement of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he to us is exactly that and more. He's everything to us. Absolutely everything to us. Without him, we have got and we can do absolutely nothing. So you see how it goes from one side to the other. And it really means when we're brought into this um, incredible union, it means what Paul says, that we are actually in Christ. 
That's probably the best description of our relationship with the Lord Jesus. 70 times it's mentioned in the New Testament scriptures. We are actually in him. You see, you can't, you can't separate something from what's in it. The, the, the closeness, the identification of the one with the other. And it means that we are identified with him. The link is so close. We're not seen apart. We are seen always together. That is how God sees us. And that is how we learn it in ourselves and how we learn to live it in its fullness and in its beauty. We're never apart from him. Never. And what it means is, because we're in him, it means that everything that he is, is ours. It also means that everything that he has done is, is actually ours. And then it means everything he possesses is also ours. Now you think about that. Everything that the Lord Jesus Christ is, is ours. And there he is perfectly righteous. Holy, righteous, acceptable to God. And God looks at you and he sees Christ. Do you realise that? You're in him. And that righteousness which God finds so acceptable, God says that righteousness I will attribute to that sinful person who has come and repentance and found salvation. And all that he is in his righteousness becomes ours. You see? And it's a wonderful exchange, if you like. Because all that he has done is also for us. All that he is, is ours. All that he has done is for us, and it's ours. And when you think of what he's done in that death on that cross... When you think of the penalty that he paid for sin on the cross, the death that he died, that death is ours. He died for me. He was my substitute. And when he died under the penalty of sin, it was as though I was dying for my own guilt but he was doing it for me. And God says, your penalty has now been paid. You see, I am now in Christ, and everything that he has done is mine. Every All that he is, is mine. And if that's not enough, all that he possesses is also mine. That's Ephesians again. It tells us he is the heir of all things, and he certainly is. Everything belongs to him. The whole of the earth and its fullness thereof, it's the Lord's. Everything is his, but we are joint heirs. We are joint heirs. Not sort of down there in the sense that you get lesser, but the joint heir means you share completely in the fullness of the riches of the grace and the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's ours, because we're in Christ. Start there and you're getting a little feeling, a little grasp of what it means to be united to the Lord Jesus Christ. This union, we'll start here and say, <coughs> this relationship, this link, this bond, it's a spiritual union. Right? Why do you call it a spiritual? Well, it's obvious. We read in 1 Corinthians 6, isn't it? He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. That's the scripture. Now, the Holy Spirit himself is the actual bond. He is there, he binds us as individuals together with one another. Certainly, that's the link that we have between, between us all. 
is the fact that the Holy Spirit is within and he's baptizing us by one spirit into one body. But then he takes us individually and he binds us to our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why the link between us and our Lord can never be broken. You want to get that? Because you'll never get assurance till you understand some of these things. You'll never really rest peacefully about your eternal destiny until you really grasp some of these things. What our union with Christ is made up of. It's a spiritual union. It is made up by the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit of God, who is one of the Trinity, that one of the triune God, God the Holy Spirit, is actually forming that bond between us and our Lord. And it's a bond, therefore, of infinite strength. It's got all the power of Almighty God. The absolute power of an absolute Almighty God is in that link. And also, it is eternal because God is eternal. And the link is one of the persons of the Godhead himself who binds us to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's eternal. It can never cease to be. It has infinite strength. It can never be broken. No power on earth, no power in hell. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because the union cannot be broken. God is in the hands of an almighty God, as the Holy Spirit of the almighty God himself brings together Christ and the redeemed, one by one as individuals, binding them then into one body and linking them to our Lord Jesus Christ. You see where we're going with this? This is something permanent and something lovely. I want to show some things to you to prove the spiritual union. Let's go to John 13. John chapter 13. Why am I going to John chapter 13? Well, I'll tell you something. Why I'm going there, because that's where it's taught, firstly. Quite obviously. And I love that it's being taught here by the Lord Jesus Christ. He actually will give to you the meaning of what the Apostle Paul said and he says that we're in Christ. The Apostle Paul never made up that phrase. He took it from the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now John chapter 13 especially, I should say, it's not chapter 13, it'll be chapter 14. right? In the John chapter 14. But from John chapter 13 through to John chapter 17 is the place where the Lord Jesus explains and expounds the work of the Holy Spirit in relation to the believer particularly and in the world to which the Holy Spirit would come. Now if you want to understand the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, if you want to understand who the Holy Spirit is, if you want to understand why he has come, if you want to understand what he does, you start at John chapter 13 and read through to John chapter 17. It'd be a good idea because we've had some nonsensical flummery taught about the Holy Spirit. as some sort of magical power within us that lifts us to sort of grandiose states of exaltation that are, whereby we have out-of-the-body experiences and we can rebuke devils and we can cast out demons and we can call down miracles and we can get such power and we can become so great all because the Holy Spirit. Then we all spend our time worshipping the Holy Spirit, worshipping the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit doesn't want worship. He says, I want you to, I'm telling you about Christ. That's what he does. These chapters tell us this. Read them in chapter 13 to 17. The work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ. It's to make the meaning of the cross 
intelligent, or as it were, convicting men of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, as they understand the meaning of the gospel. And for the believer it is to bring them into the richness of the relationship they have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's read the bit that matters. Chapter 14. He says here in verse 16. Now get, get the background. The Lord Jesus is the last night of his life. He's announced to them the fact that he's going to leave them. That's the situation. He's announced that he's going. He said it before, but they didn't quite sort of grasp it. It gets hard to believe it. He's been with them for so long. He's been their helper. helper. He's been their comforter. He's been their supporter. And now he is actually going away. And they're, they're, they're thinking, well, you know, he's actually going so far. How can we maintain a relationship with him if he is actually going away? And he says that where I go, you know, it's heaven. It's far away. And the distance is so great. It's so hard to maintain a long-distance relationship, even in a digital world. So what about back here? Well, there's no connection, you know? There's no postage to heaven. <laughs> the Lord wasn't going to live on the other side of the world and leave them in Palestine and pursue a mission somewhere else whereby somehow or other, and who knows how in those days, he, they could maintain some sort of connection. No, this is heaven, and there they are bewildered and thinking, how can we maintain a relationship? We've had one for three and a half years. We've established something. He has called us. He has blessed us. He's revealed to us that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Our whole hope is bound up in him. And now he's going. How do I keep this link? The Lord Jesus gives them the answer here. And this is the key why it's a spiritual union, why it's an eternal union, and why it can't be broken. He says here, I will, verse 16... Chapter 14, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Get those points? Another comforter. You've had me. I have been your comforter. I like that word, actually, in the old authorised it's often translated our helper or our paraclete, the suggestion of one who draws alongside to undertake our case or our cause. And that's lovely. It's lovely to know. Of course, it's right. But there's also, inasmuch as he does that in his role, he is all, it is such a comfort to us and a support to us, a, a reassurance to us. So that's why I like that word comforter. And he says, I will send you another one in my place, but something else. When he uses the word another, I'll send you another comforter, it's another one of the same kind as me. And who is he? He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is God Almighty himself. The Holy Spirit coming to fulfill this role while I'm away will be one who is like me, a one of the Godhead three. And he will come and he will abide, it says, with you. See the closeness? <coughs> goes further, it's in you later. <coughs> he will abide with you and it will be forever. There is an eternal link. The divine person, the Holy Spirit, dwelling forever within the heart of the believer. Do you get that? And he won't leave. He's there forever once you are saved. That's what he says in verse 16. This is the spirit of truth 
Verse 17, the world can't receive him because it doesn't see him, it doesn't know him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. See that? He's not next to us. He's not just a little bit away from us where you can call on him now and again. He is actually there residing within. And he says in verse 18, for this reason he can say this in verse 18, I won't leave you comfortless. I won't leave you as an orphan. That's the word there, orphans. What's an orphan? I mean, an orphan is someone who's left all on their own. There's something pathetic in seeing a child who is an orphan. They're just left in a, in a world where they can't cope with anything and they're left all on their own. He says, no, it's not going to be like that. I'm not going to this faraway place that you think it call, you call heaven, or you, it is heaven and you think it's far away, and leaving you all on your own, and leaving you without a helper, without any comfort. No, he says, it's not like that. I will come to you. Do you get that? It's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there with them. The Holy Spirit will be in them. Now he says, I will be as well. I will be as well. He said, well, I'm leaving you, but I won't be le- you won't be left at all. You won't be left at all. Verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world doesn't see me anymore. But you see me. That's incredible, isn't it? The world never saw him after that death. Yet Mary brought word that she had seen the Lord and he said these things to her as he saw the, her, him in the resurrection. And the disciples saw him in the resurrection. But fellow Christian, it, it didn't stop with the disciples. It continues with us today. You come, as it were, over and over in those experiences. And even this morning, as we came to remember the Lord, we were like the Greeks, weren't we? We said, sirs, we would see Jesus. And you do, you catch that glimpse of him in, your, in the word, in the worship. And you see the glimpse of him in your daily life and his provisions. You do see him, you know he's there. He's not far away. The reality of his presence is very, very much so. And it's, it is a reality. Because he said, I live, you shall live also. In other words... You will be actually sharing in my life. Now we're really getting close in our relationship here. Where our entire life we are constantly drawing endlessly from him. And it's part of the link between he and us. And it is enabled and held there by the presence of a divine person. The Holy Spirit of God is binding us to the Lord Jesus Christ, is linking us with the Lord Jesus Christ, is is bringing us in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, so close that it would look as though we are actually in Christ. Very lovely, isn't it? Verse 20. In that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me... (coughs) And I in you. Now that, and I in you. Now that's a beautiful description of our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful description. You see, I will be in my Father, you will be in me, yet I will be in you. Now you can't 
get a more vivid picture, a clearer picture of a binding together in unity. And the incredible thing is, he is prepared to describe his union with us, our union with him, him, his relationship with us, our relationship with him, on the same level as he describes his own relationship with God the Father. I am in the Father, but you are in me, and I am in you. And in John chapter 17, he says, I want them all to be one in us, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. They also in us, that they may be one. See the unity that's coming here now. It's amazing. This is not all about a world council of churches and everybody agreeing. This is about the fellowship, the harmony, the union between Christ and his own, and Christ and his Father, and us bound up together in the bundle of the living. That's what it is. We have links with the eternal sinners saved by grace, but we're bound to him through the Holy Spirit through the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're in Christ. You see? You are in Christ. Now if that's not enough to describe the beauty of the relationship and the strength of the relationship and the permanency of the relationship, it goes down there to verse 21 and he says here, He that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. He that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him. It won't be waiting until we get to see him. This is now. This is constant. I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. So in this beautiful relationship, which is so close and so real and so strong, in that relationship, there is, it is permeated completely permeated entirely by love. Love of God. We meditated on that this morning, didn't we? It is a relationship of love where we are loving him now. And we show that in our obedience and our desire to please him. We are loving him now. The Father is loving us now. And the Lord Jesus Christ is also himself choosing personally to put his love on you as an individual. He loves his church, corporate, but firstly, individual. That's why when we get back to Revelation 19, we saw the bride and we saw the wife and then we heard a voice that said, blessed are they who are called. That's the individual who make up the bride and the wife. You see, the individual relationship. So there's something very lovely here. What does he say? I will love him. Can I get that home to your soul this morning? The Lord loves you, and he loves me, and he's never stopped doing it, and he never, never will. You prove it sometimes, don't you, when you read the scriptures and it just lights up. You prove it in the times of your prayer and it lights up, and you prove it in the times of your trouble. Because what you find is he's right there. He doesn't leave. He cannot leave. He cannot forsake. He is bound to us. He has linked himself Irretrievably, irretrievably with us through another person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit of God. This is incredible. I mean, in one way, because it is a very deep truth. You see, look, it's not. Just break it down and take it step by step. And sure, it's deep God, deep truth, because it's the deep things of God. 
But it is real. It is practical. It's so reassuring. He's holding me in his hands and he'll never let me go. Never. And it says here, not only will I love him, he said, I will manifest myself to him. I will reveal myself to him. Now what happens is this. In a revelation, <clears throat> what God does in revelation is he shows you what's actually there. I mean, you may not, you know, I could, I could say, well, um, <clears throat> I use the old story, you know, <laughs> I've got something in my pocket, you know, I've got something in my pocket. And you say, oh, I wonder what he's got in his pocket. I say, tell me what I've got in my pocket and you all go around and start to tell me what you think might be in my pocket, all right? But then, well, all I do is put my hand in my pocket and I pull it out, you see, I say, it's a handkerchief. See, I revealed to you the actual reality of what is in my pocket. I didn't just describe it. I didn't just hint at it. I actually showed you it. Now, this is what this is saying here. He's saying here that you think I'm gone away and I've forgotten you and there's no communication, you know? No, no, no. He said, I am in you. I've said that. I am with you. I've said that. And the Holy Spirit is holding that truth in its reality, binding, me, binding us together, and I am loving you. And I will reveal to you, I'll show you how true that it, this is. I'll show you that. And I tell you, think a moment, is there one of us here who hasn't had that experience over and over again? You just proved how real the love and presence of the Lord Jesus was to you. Whatever situation that was in. I mean, you found it at Salvation's Day, yes, but you've proved it ever since. The bud was slowly beginning to open to the flower, you see. And you're starting to enjoy your relationship with the Lord. He actually is saying, I'll let you see that I am there with you in person. I am not sending someone else to do it for me, right? Not even a great apostle or another magnificent prophet. I will be with you. And actually, if that's not enough, in verse 23 he said, We will come in, the Father and the Son, and we will make our abode with him. We'll actually come to stay. And all this comes to us through the work of the Holy Spirit, binding us to him in a relationship of infinite love. In a relationship of reality, where it is real, you are his. Yes, you know you're his. And you know he's there, for you see him and you prove him so often in the life. It's a relationship of love. It's a relationship of reality. It's a relationship of permanency. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just stop there and say, Selah. Do you know what that means? Stop. Pause. Consider. It's like the psalmist. He, he says some wonderful truth about God and then he goes, Selah. Stop, stop, stop. Don't rush on. Think about it. Now we're starting to just touch the edge of mighty divine truths. The work of the Holy Spirit. The work of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The work of our Lord Jesus Christ which has brought us guilty sinners right back to God. So you see, let's go further to the next heading, spiritual union. <clears throat> it's a living union, that's important. It's a living, vital 
union. It's essential for our eternal salvation. It's essential for our continuing existence in the present world. So I say vital. But it's something that is living. It, it works. You're, it applies to life. It's part of your life. It is giving you life. This union, this relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. He'll do that eternally. <laughs> well, in the in the marriage supper of the Lamb and the and the time that follows, we'll be drawing everything from Him. Now, I say it's something that's living, not something that's dead. I mean, it's not a piece of paper, you know. You know, baptismal certificate, and you get your piece of paper, and you say, "I am now a member of this church, and I am part of body of Christ," or whatever they might say on the baptismal certificate. Well, all right, that's only a bit of paper. It's not the real thing. <laughs> okay. Or like a partnership in business. You go into partnership with somebody, don't you? What's the partnership? There's a partnership document. And the partnership is all about this piece of paper. That's the thing that's legally enforceable. My word it is. You might come together and work and you might fight cat and dog, but the partnership exists on a piece of paper. You see? It's not like that. This is something living. This is essential. something that's essential, something that's alive, and something that is actually real and enjoyed. I, it's living because flowing through me as a believer, flowing through you as someone who has been regenerated and born again, flowing through you is the very life of God. That's eternal life. The life that was in Christ. As the Father had life in himself, so also he gave to the Son to have life in himself. And a sinner comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and he gets eternal life. It's a completely different kind of life. If you like, spiritual life, yes, eternal life that flows from the Saviour who is God. And it flows down and he gives it as a free gift into the life of the, of the believer, of the one who has come as a sinner in repentance and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. The life of the risen Christ, that eternal life flows down from him into us, making us alive unto God, spiritually alive. See, he said this in John 5. He said, the hour is coming, and now is. When they that hear the voice of the Son of God, right? The dead that are in the, the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. You say, that's going to be wonderful in a day to come. When the, when the Lord descends from heaven with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and they that hear the dead in Christ shall rise first. Uh, wait a minute. That verse isn't just saying that at all. It says the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And here we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And what actually happened? There came a day when he called us, didn't he? he called, don't you remember when he called you? Don't you remember the voice that you kept hearing incessantly in your ear? As he called and he called again and finally as a repentant sinner you came and what did he give you? He gave you eternal life. That's what he gave you. He gave you his very own life that he was currently living now. He'd taken the life that he took as a man and laid it down in death but he took it anew in a fresh way and he lives forevermore and he'll never die again and he gave that life to us and in that moment of making us spiritual li spiritually alive he joined us to himself. Completely. And this life, it's an ongoing flow. It's not just a, well, here it is and walk away. 
it's coming down from him all the time, just running like a river, if you like, linking the two of us together in such a beautiful way, constantly receiving it from him fully. If you'll excuse the medical sort of uh, uh, picture, I, I thought of the babe in utero, you know. Just, it's, it takes everything of its life comes from that mother. It can't exist apart. It doesn't exist apart. It wouldn't have life on its own apart. Now that, if I might just say, is that the sort of thought we have with the Lord Jesus when we're saved, we draw from him that life. And that is the thing which keeps us, as it were, alive unto God. We are living by faith of the Son of God. He loved me and he gave himself for me. And through the gift of faith that we have, the life streams down into us in all his fullness and in all his blessings. And it's not a one-off, it's a constant flow. John chapter 1, what did he say? Of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Didn't say we've all received grace, full stop. It's grace upon grace. It's flow after flow of the blessing of divine life to the soul of the believer who's born again. Born of his spirit. Born from above. John chapter 4, he says to the woman, If only you drink of the water which I'm going to give you, for the fountain of water which I shall give you shall spring up. The water which I shall give you shall spring up into a fountain of water. Eternal life, you see. A fountain's always on the move. The Lord Jesus stood in the last the great day of the feast and he, he cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his inward path will flow the rivers of living water. How can rivers of water flow out of a solitary human being if he's not drawing it from above? And that's what it is. Do you see the link? you see what he's doing? See the refreshment? See the strength? And, and that's exactly the idea of this living link, this life which links us to the Lord Jesus Christ, is what Peter is actually talking about when he talks about, remember coming to a living stone? Remember that? The homecoming is unto a living stone. We who were that stone which the builders rejected, they said, away with him, crucify him, kill him. That's the end of his life. Oh no, oh no. That living stone which is chosen of God and precious is being made the chief cornerstone, right? And we as coming to him, get the picture of the building, coming to him one by one as an individual brick, if you like, or a stone, we, gain, we come in contact with him and then we become living stones. Getting the life from the cornerstone. And then there becomes a beautiful union of a solitary dead stone, now a living stone, in contact with the living stone and then in contact with other living stones. And the whole thing is built together. A living building. That's what it is. A holy temple unto the Lord and we are builded together with one another and we're builded together with him and it's all because of Christ the living stone that's what holds us together the life that's in him eternal life flowing to us drawing us to himself binding us to himself to make something that's solid as a building that can go up and be used in response a living building with living stones and a living cornerstone to worship a living God. This is our union with the Lord Jesus Christ and this is what it brings us into the good of, the wonder of our salvation, being able to praise even our God. On Christ's salvation rests secure. 
The rock of ages must endure, nor can that faith be overthrown, which rests upon the living stone. That bond can't be broken. There's no separating us from the love of God. There's no parting between your Lord and yourself, my Lord and I. Never no parting. He's in heaven. Well, says Paul, he says, oh, you've been raised up to heaven as well and made to sit down in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's yours. He's there. He's with you. You are with him. Never separated, never parted. It's a bond which no other hope shall intervene. To him we look, on him we lean. No other foundation we disown. We build on Christ the living stone. Now that's part of our union with Christ. Yeah, our relationship is living, it's vital, and it is eternal. And I better stop there. <laughs> because I, again, you know, as I say, that's only a half of what I had to say, but we'll carry on next week. <laughs> look, there's enough in that to feed your soul for the week. There's enough in that to reassure your faith. There's enough in that if you'll read it for yourself and grasp it that it will dispel your doubts. There's enough in that that will stop you relying on your feelings to determine whether or not you're going to get to heaven. Whether or not the Lord actually does love you. Whether or not I am actually lost and I'm not saved at all. Stop going back to how you feel and what you have done. And realise on Christ's salvation rests secure. And see who he is and what he has done. And realise the work of the Holy Spirit within your heart. May God bless us. Father, we just want to part from this place grateful and thankful. And again, before we leave, just bow and worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. And give unfeigned thanks that God has loved sinners such as we. That our God and our Father we have been brought nigh unto God. He who knew no sin made sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That he might bring us from the darkness into light. From the power of Satan unto God. And our God and our Father, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Help us to live like that every day, in the good of it, in the joy of it, in the peace of it, and in the strength of it. And keep us in this present evil world, our God and Father, safe by that wounded side. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.